On today's episode of Background Check, we talk with Nick Pomeroy, owner of PR Equipment in Texas. Nick shares how one decision in high school caused a downward spiral in his life that was hard to stop. But one day, a judge gave him that hard stop and sent him to prison where he had lots of time to take a deeper look at himself. After giving his heart to the Lord, he found some favor in his life, but still went through some challenging times, which included a relapse. But now he follows his own message of just do the next right thing, and he's living out the best version of himself. Come on, let's do a background check on Nick Pomeroy. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Background Check Podcast. Uh, Welcome to all of our extended family listening from inside the walls. Welcome to everybody. Now that our podcast is is, uh, being aired on um, tablets inside jails and prisons. Welcome to all of you. Listen, if you're sitting in jail or you're sitting in prison, I know exactly where you've been. So uh, welcome. And uh, Carl Ward from Alabama. Stay strong, man. Uh, you guys in Arizona, stay strong. And if you uh, if you're listening to this and and uh, it's impacted your life, man, hit us up. Forgiven Felons, PO Box four two eight three, Cedar Hill, Texas seven five one zero six. Let us know if a specific episode impacted your life. Uh, don't forget to share it. All right. So, yeah, background check podcast. It's brought to you by Forgiven Felons. That's our main ministry. And uh, we help people with the past realize their future. We've had a transitional house, a couple of them for about nine years. We're about to transition into having a resource center with welding classes, kinds of vocational training classes, uh, and uh, businesses. We're going to help people uh, make a decent living wage, or even help them start their own business, like I did when I when I got out of prison. So, uh, background check. What do we do here, man? We um, we just share stories. Sometimes I get on here and talk about how I've risen above my past and my background, but most of the time we bring people on and let you hear some great stories of people who have uh, maybe had a challenging past, maybe went through something that they made some decisions that landed them in jail or prison, uh, and they rose above it, you know, like myself. I got out. I've been out 15 years now. I rose above my past. I rose above the challenges of the background check, and I have two businesses, and we're about to start some more. And so these stories that come on, man, we've talked to CEOs of eight-figure businesses. We've talked to CEOs who were convicted of murder, and now are, now is the CEO, Brian Kelly, PEP. You know, he's the CEO, and he was once in jail, in prison for 20 years. So... Uh, we also have lawyers on here. We have judges. We have anybody who helps people navigate life uh, after they have a background of some sort. So uh, and that's why we're here today. 
we're here today uh, to talk with Nick Pomeroy, man. Amazing story. I met him through, man, the, the university who did our documentary, which is on Roku and Tubi TV, and soon to be up uploaded to you guys in prison on your tablets as well. Um, we One of the girls that goes there works for PR Equipment in, in Texas. And the Nick challenged her with um, tasked her with with finding uh, a charity, an organization that they could give to and, and give back to. And so she said, "What about forgiving felons?" And so they came on board as a partner last last Christmas around Christmas time. And and we're about to do some more things with them. Um, I think we're going to give a, a riding lawnmower away. We're excited about that. And um, and so I I asked him if he would come on after I found out his story, his background. And said, "Man, I would love for you to come on the show." So they own PR Equipment, which stands for Pomeroy Ranch Equipment, and that's in Karen's, Texas. And they also own a little coffee shop in Corsicana called uh, Mita's Coffee House and Fine Foods, and it is literally so good. I I, I don't even remember what I had. It was amazing. I think there was some pests. It was incredible. Their coffee's good. Cute little shop in downtown Corsicana. So we get to talk to uh, Nick today and hear his story of how how it all started, you know, where it went wrong, how God got it on track, and how he met his wife, and and uh, they have a little son named Toby, and it's just a great story. So I can't wait for you to hear it. So here's um, here's my interview with Nick. Nick, welcome to Background Check Podcast, man. <laughs> What's up, man? We've been talking about doing this for. I think since December when I came down here. Yes, sir. Um, so I want you to tell a little bit of our audience, which before two or three weeks ago was about a thousand downloads a month. Now we're in prisons and the company that allows us to upload this podcast to the tablets says that they have 135,000 tablets out to inmates in jails and prisons. So. The audience is a little bit bigger now, and uh, but thank you for coming on the show. Um, I came down in December, uh, and you guys made a generous donation to Forgiven Felons, so we appreciate that. And um, uh, the the project that we're working on, uh, the whole resource center, is in, moving along along at an incredible pace. When I say incredible, sometimes it seems like it's slow, but the last two three weeks has been like lightning speed. We've been, you know, the welding, the welding class and the welding business are going to get going first. And then the rest of the resource center is going to come behind it. Very so, cool. so we're excited. And, and you guys um, have played a part in that. So thank you so much for your generosity. Now, again, you're Nick Pomeroy with PR Ranch Equipment. It's and, Pomeroy Ranch Equipment or short for P, PR Equipment is what it oh, is. Oh, I said it wrong. Did yeah, I say it wrong? You said PR ranch equipment. I did. It's we kind of. That's don't why know, I should have just let you say. We should have just named it PR equipment, right? Because we've pretty much dropped the Pomeroy Ranch, and it's more or less PR equipment to anybody that's not legal, gotcha. right? But uh, yeah. Well, tell us who you are, man. What? What? Tell us about your family. Tell us about the business. And uh... well, first off, man, it's it's congratulations on getting into the the prisons. I I did not have a tablet available. <laughs> <laughs> that that wasn't a thing at the time, and I honestly, it's kind of a, it's kind of a shock just to hear that they even do that. But yeah. that's that's cool. I, I hope that 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 
helps a lot of folks and, and enables some, some positive. Educationally results. speaking, you know, cause people will be able to take courses that are uploaded it's, to that podcast. Yeah. I mean, I completely get the value of it. I think it's, I think it's an awesome thing. I hope, I hope some people really take advantage of that because you know, it, we all come from you know different walks and we don't always take advantage of the, of the tools that true, are given true, us. True. So I really hope that, that, that does have some positive results. But as, as they say, you know, even if it's just one, right, even if you yeah. just reach one, but so my name is Nick Pomeroy. Um, I am a husband, a father, brother, son. I'm all those things. Um, my wife, April and I, we've been married for, she's going to shoot me six years now. Um, <laughs> So, and we uh, also have a son. He's he's three, fixing to turn four. His name's Toby. And he, um, he runs the business. He right? pretty much runs things. We actually named one of our businesses. We've we've got more than one business. I've I've taken some of the you know my background into my the current you know, and so I guess I'm still addicted just to something else. Absolutely. Uh, now it's entrepreneurial uh, stuff. But anyway, so um, yeah, so I've got my my wife April, my son Toby. Uh, he's fixing to turn four. He's he's great. We we love him to death. Um, our primary business here is PR equipment. Uh, we're a kind of a farm and ranch uh, equipment dealership here in, in, in Navarro County, just, just kind of south of Dallas a little ways. Um, and we we do all sorts of mowers and stuff like that, have a service shop, all, all sorts of stuff like that. But we also actually own a coffee shop in Corsicana. Have, have, we, we've got a few different irons in the fire because if we're not busy enough, we always find something to add there to it. Go. So I, I assume it's kind of like you. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Uh, so... Now, farm and ranch equipment, but I see some mowers that look like they could be more residential, right? You oh, sell, sure. I mean, even if somebody just has a big yard, they can still come and, and buy something from you guys. Absolutely, yeah. The, the lawn mowers is a, is a huge part of our business. We've even got golf carts now that are really slick. The, nice. the people we get most of our mowers from also make a golf cart, and it's it's a cool little unit that, that we really enjoy. So I've got one in the house, so it's, it's, it's pretty fun. Awesome. What's the name of the coffee shop? So the coffee shop's name is Mita's. Um, it's in downtown Corsicana, just right off Beaton, and it's a it's a unique space too. So we really what, what like all it. The, just coffee? Oh, coffee, coffee food, food, yeah, breakfast, uh, lunch. You know, I think it's you're gonna here again. I think it's open seven thirty to five thirty. I don't. My my wife, that is her passion, is coffee, um, and she does good with it. I just kind of stay out of it because I every time I kind of try to get involved i don't think i do any good so so she probably sticks to the coffee and you stick to the, the I, yeah the i equipment. try to i try to stay out of that so I, I'm, I'm gonna stick with the the equipment and now what and, what made you decide to open up a ranch equipment store well so it's kind of like i guess when i was growing up you know i was the, the typical kid you know the the boy who was playing in the dirt tractors and whatnot and both sets of my grandparents did some farming on some level or another. And so okay. I always found that really interesting. Now, they weren't real big farmers, so it wasn't like it was going to be kind of a legacy thing right. where I would get to take over the family farm. It, it wasn't anything like that. Inherit 300 acres and, of farmland. And, and I always like thought, like, yeah, exactly. It, it was going to be like uh, split up amongst four kids and or, or, or sold, you know. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of retirement, right, when you sell your, your place. But so that's kind of where it started. I, I really love the farming aspect of it. I love to be out there in the dirt and, and, and things like that. So after, you know, I, as I was growing up, I kind of realized that if you're not born into it, and you don't marry into it, you're probably not going to be a farmer. Um, so I kind of, you know, I shifted my focus more to the equipment side of things and, and 
to begin with, it was kind of the mechanical side, right? Yeah. So that's that's where I kind of saw my end. Well, like a repair? Repairing. Actually, my first job was I was the chief power washer um, of farm equipment for a dealership, and I did a lot of power washing of combines and things like that. So I and, uh, wiped down a lot of windows. That was kind of where I got my start, and then I okay. kind of shifted more in towards, you know, the, the you know a mechanic inside of things and, and fixing right. on the equipment. And I've always just really found an interest in that. And, and for whatever reason, I, you know, I started there and I, I made it a career. And so I've bounced around, you know, different dealerships and manufacturers. And then we were, honestly, when my son was born, I, I was working in another job and, and it was requiring quite a bit of travel. And so my son was born and we were like, you know, this just isn't, isn't going to cut it yeah. long term. I want to be present yeah. in my son's life. And so it was, it was our goal that, okay, so, hey, we're going to start this business and this is going to help me get off the road and spend more time with Toby. Now, so, so PR equipment's not, not very old. No, we're so we turned uh, three in uh, I guess the start of May. So three happy and birthday. three, yeah. Thanks. Well, happy birthday to you too <laughs> on the podcast. But yeah, we're we're just a little over three years old. Um, and so yeah, we're we're still relatively new at this, but we're figuring it out. Awesome, awesome. All right, so you have the coffee shop, you have the the ranch equipment store. And, and then you guys, uh, that's not all y'all do. Y'all do some, um, y'all are involved in, in outreach. So talk about some of the outreach you guys do. So it's, you know, we're, we're pretty involved in our local church here. It's Grace Community Church in downtown Corsicana. It's actually right across the street from the coffee shop, which is rather convenient, which is the yes. one day we don't work. We don't work on Sundays. And so it's, it's kind of nice, but, uh, yeah, so we get involved with a lot of things, and, and my wife is heavily involved in all sorts of stuff. So my wife's heart has always been for that ministry side of things, and she she does a lot with uh, some kids in Africa. But this year, I was able to get involved, and, and we we worked with a pastor, and we we began to kind of work on the border a little bit with with some of the folks that you know that are coming over and 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 just need, I guess, just need to to see Jesus love. Yeah. So, yeah, because some of them don't know if they're going to be here very long. You know, uh, a lot of them get looked at as, uh, as, uh, you know, somebody was a stranger or alien. Like, you know, a lot of people don't want them here, but there's a huge ministry need there. It's, it's just such a mess and it gets caught up so politically. And I don't want to get into all that. For yeah. me, it's just, you know, it goes back to that old, what would Jesus do? Right? right. And I believe what Jesus would do is, is, is he would try to ease some of the suffering. I believe that in my heart. And so, so that's kind of something that we've got involved with. And, and it's kind of so cool. Yeah. It's, it's become more of a passion for me too. I, I really, you know, when you get down there and you, you get to see actually making a difference, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, and, and like I say, there's such a tremendous need. Um, and it's, so, so that's something that it's, it's relatively new for me. It's always something my wife has done. It's relatively new for me, but it's, it's definitely, you know, where my heart has been lately. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So, um, so your life has just been this awesome all your life, right? It's been fantastic. No problems. Ne- never no, had nothing. any issues. Yeah. Well, that's good. Born, that's good. Born straight into it, you know? And well, then we're on the wrong podcast. Yeah. Oh, dang. Because <laughs> background check podcast is all about digging into someone's background. Um, who may have had some challenges, you know, we've had people on here that they weren't messed up in criminal uh, or addiction or whatever. They were, maybe they were physically sexually abused and they had to rise above that background. Um, we've had CEOs on here that have risen above criminal backgrounds. We've also had some people that are directors of recovery centers that help navigate people with addiction backgrounds. We've had judges, we've had lawyers, 
So it's all about it's all about the background check. Background check has such a negative connotation. You know, you go apply for a job and they're like, hey, you got the job. All we got to do is a background check. And then, you know, us like us with felonies are like, oh, no. And we've had guys coming out of our transitional house that have gotten jobs and got fired two weeks later when the background check has come through. I've actually got several stories about different background <laughs> check situations where I can absolutely relate to that. So, you know, and there's a lot of people and I would assume people who recidivate the recidivism is once you've been out three to five years it, it, nationally, including all the state and federal prisons is almost 80%. But here in Texas, it's almost half that within three to five years, we go back. You did time in Kansas, which I know you'll talk about, but I don't know what the recidivism rate in Kansas, but in Texas, it's half. So half of everybody who gets out is going to go back within three to five years. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, I'm like, I forgot where I was going with the recidivism thing. What were we talking about? <laughs> well, I don't know. I just know, turned but... 50. I just turned 50. So, but, okay. You know, no, I remember now. Okay, I remember. what's up? All right. So, so background, the people who go back to prison weren't able to somehow rise above all the obstacles in their past, whether it be societal, whether it be their upbringing, whether it be the, the, the enormous pressure put on us by parole and probation. Um, and so not everybody rises, not everybody ends up like me and you, you know, you know? I, in my thoughts on that is I, I think it's really kind of a simple answer to, to more, maybe more of a complex problem the, the fact is people lose hope, you yeah. know, or, the, or they see that the struggle is not worth the reward or, right. or, or maybe they just lose patience and it's not coming fast enough. And I, I completely get it. I mean, I can relate to a lot of those you know, situations yeah. and, and my story is similar and, and I'm sure different. Some, well, let's, let's dig into your background now, you know, uh, let's, let's start where it started, you know, tell us about your childhood and uh, we'll work our way up through high school, which if you're like me is where you start making all your bad choices, <laughs> junior, well, junior high and then high school. But, uh, what was, what was childhood like? So for me, I was born in a small town in Kansas, not Harper, Kansas. And, and, um, it's, it's kind of Southwest of Wichita, not really close to, I mean, I guess it's about an hour, a little over an hour away from any town of, of measurable size. So I, I, I born there, we kind of bounced around a little bit. My dad took some different jobs. And so we, we kind of bounced around until I guess I would have been in third grade when we kind of settled in, in a small town called Belle Plaine, south of, south of Wichita, Kansas, about 1,100 people kind of known for, it's almost like a bedroom community, right? So a lot of the people would work and, and live more or less in, in Wichita, which was the, the larger town and then and kind of come home and just sleep there. So not a huge, huge community feel, yeah. but that's, that's where we kind of settled down. My, my dad actually uh, purchased a business after moving for some different jobs. And so he purchased a business and, uh, and that's, that's kind of where we stuck. And so growing up, you know, that's kind of where I went to school. Um, I, man, I was actually a great kid all the way through junior high. Um, and maybe even into freshman Braggy, year. Bragger. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just, <laughs> I like to start uh, to be honest with you. I had a pretty good upbringing. You know, my, you know, I, my parents still married, you know, it's not a single parent house. Right. You know, I, I had a lot of things going for me. Um, it, we, we weren't, you know, above anything, you know, it wasn't like we were well off or, or anything like that, but, but I, we never wanted for anything. We, yeah. we, we had a pretty good situation, but growing up in like say in that small town, you know, you're, you're subjected to, to a lot of the small town atmosphere and, and, and things of that nature. And so as I progressed up through the grades, you know, and, and, and in high school, you know, and your, your, your group is rather small because there's, there's only like, I think I graduated with like 40 people or 30 yeah, me people. too. But, um, 
you know, it was, I think, I guess it would be in freshman year where I started to kind of get into maybe, you know, experimenting, right, and smoking pot and whatnot. And, and it just kind of, you know, spiraled from there. And it, I, that's what I did. To, you know, I think everybody does something to cope right. as, as they're growing up. And so that was my thing. Um, and so we started smoking pot and then it just kind of progressed. And then I actually, I guess I, I got to where, uh, you know, that entrepreneurial mind is like, well, let's, let's sell, right. Let's, let's, let's move some of these, this product. And, uh, and that's where things kind of got out of hand. And I wasn't, you know, Pretty soon, I got caught up with school with you know somebody else's weed, then I sold them or whatever in my truck, right? So I mean, I guess I take a little bit of fault. So that kind of started that spiral down, and you know, they, of course, they go to your house and raid your raid your yeah. house or your room and whatnot, and all that, all the fun stuff that goes with that. But uh, yeah, at that point, I had my first interaction with the with the uh, the law. And you were in high school. I was still in high school, and so I guess that would have been probably about my junior year. But I I caught a charge of you know possession with intent, which I think we pled down. You know how that like goes, pled it down to possession. Got my first stint on probation, and and then it just kind of got out of hand. <laughs> Did you complete your probation? <laughs> I have never. I've been on probation many times, and I have yet to successfully complete one. I've only successfully completed one out of out of very many. I'll just you know, and it, I, heaven forbid it ever happened again. It might as well just serve my time. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. probation wasn't easy for me, so I mean it's never easy, right? right. But the, the truth is, if you do what you're supposed to do, yeah. you can actually successfully complete it in a short amount of time. I could not grasp that concept. I mean, all the way through high school, you know, we, it, I just, it's like, okay, well, you know, pot was really hard to get out of your system. And, and honestly, I always, I kind of almost blame the, the justice system for me transitioning to harder drugs because I had to find something that got out of my system faster. <laughs> right. And so that, that's where I, I started. Love it. Hey, wherever, wherever you can put the blame. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's not true. I don't really, blame, I mean, it's my, my problem, but but I transitioned from like, oh, well, cocaine would get out of your system significantly oh, yeah. faster. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it went from there to, you know, to, to meth, crystal meth at that point. But yeah, so so this was all before I got out of high school, right? I had I'd already started quickly down that that progression, that that's that downward cycle from and they say and I'm not here to sit here and tell you that marijuana is a gateway drug. I really don't have any opinion on that. But for me, that was just the steps that we followed, right? Right, because t people who have marijuana sometimes have other things, and so I think a gateway can be whatever you make it. That's right. That's right. You yeah. know, I, I mean, mean, yeah, absolutely. Because I didn't like I didn't like weed. Yeah, I, I didn't smoke it very much, You're but right. I made my way through the gates, yeah, <laughs> all the way up to you know. You got to start somewhere, and it's like, well, we could start here because this is pretty. This is pretty minor, but and that's exactly for me. So I, I started smoking weed, but I didn't really like the way it made me feel because you know in high school I was kind of a short fat kid, and, and so I would I would sit around and smoke weed, and all I really wanted to do was eat ice cream, chips, and and play video games <laughs> until I fall asleep. That's it. That was the extent. Like I, some people get out and smoke weed and go play basketball. I didn't yeah. understand that. Uh, like that doesn't make any sense no. to me. For me, it was I would eat a lot and then fall asleep and wake up feeling like crap. So it, it's what I did for a while. And then like I say, but then I found, okay, the, the speed was where it was at for me. So yeah, I, that was kind of high school. You know, by the time I got out of high school, I was on probation for that. Got on probation for another thing, which, you know, of course, Provo, provo, or uh, probation violations the entire time, right? So, yeah. oh, you pissed dirty, or you do this, and and you know you you get popped for a couple of things, and then you get an additional charge, and then they let you go ahead. And by that time, I was eighteen, and so they send you to real jail. 
which was a kind of awakening for me. It didn't change anything in, on yeah. my course, but for, for a brief, brief moment. But um, they sent me to real jail uh, to serve out the, the, the time on my first sentence, right? Okay. So it's just a, you know, yeah. a misdemeanor. So I don't know what I ended up doing. Two months in work release or something, three months in work release. So I got to serve out the rest of my time in, in adult jail. So at least at that point, I got off and I was off probation. Yeah. Okay. So then now you're an adult. Going to college anywhere? Did you have any aspirations other than... I, uh, yeah, so I did not um, think... So I took the ACT when I was in middle school because I was a good kid. Now, let's go back. I was actually a really good kid in middle school. And and so I was going to go off to this fancy summer camp for, for smart people or whatever. And so you had to take the ACT to get in here in middle school. And so when I got into high school, I got towards the end of the senior year and I was messing with, uh, like say I, I was predisposed with, with a lot of other things, you know, drugs, alcohol, partying, whatever. So I got to the end of the senior year, I was like, crap, I don't know what I'm going to do next year. And so I had to take the ACT to try to get, a, you know, to get my score up because I think in middle school, I don't remember what it was. I don't even remember how they score that thing. But I do know that I stayed out way too late partying the night before. And there was only one time left. There was one chance to take the ACT. And I stayed out till like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Had to be there at at, at 8 a.m. Felt like crap. Want to throw up. And so I actually got a worse score than my my senior year in high school than than I got in middle school. So I had to use my middle school score to get into college. And so college, though, consisted of, I think I went to... I think I went to one of every class before I completely fell off the rails. By the third, second, third week, I had completely got off the rails as far as college was concerned. I, I had an apartment with a guy that from high school went to this community college, a few, you know, probably 30, 40 miles away. <laughs> um, and he just, I, I didn't, I bet by three weeks I was, I was no longer attending college classes. Wow. And I, it got me into this. You dropped out quicker than I did. I was, I was out quick. <laughs> I was out quick, and so I, I was just lost, man. And so yeah. I went to work. In fact, I, that's where I went. I went to farming for a guy, okay. and I was still a mess. Like I was driving an hour over there to go farming, and I would say I was going to class, but I wasn't. And I, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I think three weeks I was out of that. But I, but really, what I was doing was was partying, you yeah. know. So I mean, in, with all the things, and so. So at this time, in your in your where you are, uh, would you say you were addicted? At the time, I wouldn't, but yeah, looking back, of course, you know, yeah. it's not rocket science yeah. to figure out where, where I was at the time. But at the time, I thought I was, I was young, man. I was just having a good time. Just you know, I was having like a good 18, time. You're not addicted. You just you know, use it every once in a while. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot. I mean, a, a lot. Um, and I was still getting kind of into the the sales and stuff, and so I was taking it a little bit further. And I got addicted to that kind of money and that power and stuff like that. But yeah, I kind of got. Yeah, I was 100% addicted, but at the time, I didn't want to acknowledge that. Yeah. It's part of that acceptance thing that yeah. I just wasn't ready. But So, all right, you're working for a guy. I mean, somewhere <laughs> along the line, something something bad happened or some, you know, uh, you progressed. It never stays the same. It always progresses. Well, I think, and I guess uh, that would have been the time that I, I did get to go do a little bit more time with the county down there in Summer County, uh, Kansas. I went, got to do a little bit more time. I think finishing up the sentence on the second probation or something like that. I got to do a little bit of time. And when I was sitting there in jail, I was thinking to myself, I was like, I got to do something different. This just isn't cutting it. I, I messed up school. I messed up. I messed up a lot of things. And, uh, so I was like, I'm going to do something different. So I, I decided, you know, I can't really make much money farming. 
I was going to go become a mechanic, right? So I went to uh, started going to school uh, at a tech school. Okay. Um, the the best part about this tech school, you didn't really have to show up. Like <laughs> it was the I paid X amount of dollars for an education that I I didn't have to show up for. It's fantastic. So I could go do all of my stuff, maybe show up like at the last hour and be like, oh, I was at work, right? I was at work. Oh, we understand. So so wow. I would. That, I grad. I didn't graduate because I never took some of the, you know, the other prereqs or whatever. I just took the tech classes, which I couldn't have done the prereqs because I wouldn't have showed up for them. But I didn't have to, and so I got a 4.0. Wow. Uh, with all the tech classes, and I'm like a couple credits away from getting the the diploma, right? I just had to do like the math and the English and things like that, which I just never did. So I was going to do that, and uh, at the time I, was, I I had gone back to work for my dad. Um, because he, you know, he had his business. And so I was, I went back to work for him working on the night shift, which was probably not a good idea. I, you know, <laughs> we, uh, it, that was a mess and it opened me up to a, a, a lot more, uh, let's just say customers. Right. So yeah. there was plenty of people working there that I could work with. And, wow. and so I, uh, yeah, so I went to, started going to school and then pretty soon I, I blew up with my dad. Right. So we, we had a falling out that was pretty bad. Um, I, punched some things as I walked out and I said, I'm never doing this again. And, and I started to go look for jobs. And I was like, well, I can't pass a, a, a UA. Yeah. I can't do any of this stuff. So after about a couple of days of that, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go back and get my job back. <laughs> right. I was going to, I'm just going to eat, eat crow and get my job back. And, and my dad said, he said, um, that's fine, but you have to go talk to the plant manager to get your job back. I'm not going to hire you back. You got to see if he'll hire you back. And that was a really embarrassing experience. Yeah. And so I agreed to come back, you know, start the week off, whatever. And as soon as I left there, I went out and got a job. I was going to turn wrenches. And so I, I looked a little harder, we'll say. So that's that started me down the, the, the road of turning wrenches. And, and that was my first background check experience. So I was going to go work um, out of school for a... Uh, a rather large dealership, a construction dealership in Kansas. And it was going to be great. They wanted me as an intern. It was going to be fantastic. I started the job, something to do with like, I cleaned up enough to pass like the instant test. And so I started working, but they had sent it off to another lab. Hmm. And so about a week, week and a half in, um, they came back and asked me to leave. So kind of that same situation where yeah. that background check comes back yep. and, and it's time to go. Wow. Um, so then I, I did get another job and, and luckily they were a little bit uh, more lax when it comes to the, to the drug test. And so that worked out a lot better for me. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you, you said you've been married how long? I'm married six years. Six years. Okay. So at that point in life, you haven't, you haven't met your current wife yet. No, 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 no. This is, I'm still living in Kansas. Were you, I'm, were you I'm like in relationship? Were you, years old. did you have relationships back then that were either, uh, either, uh, affected by your addiction <laughs> or, uh, yeah, there was, so I was really good at trying to kind of live this double life. Right. Yeah. And so I, there, I had relationships that were toxic, right. That we were just, you know, users and, and, you know, messing, you know, just, just, taking each other down that spiral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was also times in life where I tried to keep the two lives separate. Right. Yeah. And so I had maybe that's a, hard to do. Too. It is a mess. It's, it's a full-time job yeah. with overtime, you know, trying to keep these two lives separate. And so, yeah, there were some, there were some relationships where I was trying to maintain this normal, like, Hey, I'm a good guy. Hey, I'm, and, and like say, I could do that fairly well while on this other side, I was just a complete mess. You yeah. know, uh, it was using every single day, you know, it, it was just a hopelessness, but I thought if I could, I could somehow get to a point, you know, that, that 
something would happen, yeah. right? Like something would change. Something would have to change. And so I thought if I could just fake it long enough, sooner or later, life would change. Yeah. And it, I guess it did. So <laughs> when did it start to change? So I don't know exactly how old I was, but I had gone a few years without really any police interaction. Like I had, you know, I was the guy who was trying to be as straight laced as possible. Right. So I didn't tent my windows and have no loud stereo systems. Like I tried to be smart about this, right. Yeah. To, to maintain this, this, this drug life that I still had going on. I was still selling some, but it was like a reduced the number of, you know, I was just trying to be super yeah. smart about this and kind of fly under the radar. And so I went for a lot of years without any really any police interaction and then one day they just happened to be stopping everybody leaving that particular drug house. And so, I, you know, you didn't use your turn signal. <laughs> yeah, right. I got you. They were, they were, they were, you know, everybody leaving that yeah. house was getting hit that day. And so that's kind of the, the start that it, it was not the end. That was the start of the end. Right. So we, at that point, you know, that was my first charge for, for a, what, what they call it, like a class three substance or whatever that, yeah. that, that was my first, my first, uh, and there was some paraphernalia that made it look like sales and stuff like that. So, which I guess it was, but, um, but anyway, so, so that was the first, that was the first felony, right? Gotcha. So now we're, we're into serious business now it, before it was always misdemeanors and it's like, that's yeah. eh, not that big a deal. Now we're into felonies. And, and how many did it take before you went to, uh, did time? Well, so it was just the one felony, but they, and they were like, oh, we're going to give you a diversion. Okay. Oh, this is great. Right. I'm going to, all I have to do is complete more or less a probation yeah. and, uh, and I'll be, I'll be, I won't have a felony on my record. This should be easy. Right. Like at this point I kind of knew I had a problem and, but I was ready to do something about it for the first time in my okay. life. I wanted to make a change. All right. And I, f I failed the first UA and they immediately kicked me off diversion. So I'm back to probation, right? And so here I am on probation, um, caught a couple other charges, uh, DUI, uh, and, a, and what would be have been the second that, of course, you get a good lawyer and you can maybe plead one down um, while on probation. And so, and of course, I'm, I'm failing UAs. Like I, and I'm going to treatment for the first time in my life. I guess I would went to treatment when I was younger, but I, I didn't really go. I just, you, you know, you sign, like, get, it, get, yeah. the, get the paper signed. So I'm starting to go to treatment as part of this, they call it like SB, I don't remember, it was one of the state Senate bills trying to target, you know, like addicts, right? right. And trying to help addicts. And um, SB 123, I think it was. But anyway, so in Kansas, they had this program and it was like, hey, here's all the steps to try to get you off of this. Um, and like, that was after I got sentenced. I think the underlying, I think my underlying on that was like 22 months or 24 months on that felony. And so they gave me literally every chance they could. And of course, I would always go in after like I had I, I knew that I was hit for something, and I always go in with my plan. You know how it yeah. goes. Like oh, yeah. you walk in, it's like okay, so I know I have a problem, but this time I'm going to do this different, right? And so you always walk in with like this pre-made <laughs> yes, plan yes. of how am I going to stay out of jail again? Total manipulation. Exactly, hundred percent total <laughs> manipulation. I'm like, how am I going to stay out of lockup now, right? Like, okay, so go in with your plan, and this is going to work out great. And so I was able to kind of manipulate my way through. Of course, I started off with what they said was a super easy PO. And of course, they adjusted caseload and I got a really hard one. And so she, well, she just saw through the crap, right? right? She yeah, wasn't yeah. stupid. <laughs> and so, I mean, it wasn't like she was hard. I mean, if I'd have done the stuff, it would have been easy. She but was just good. She was, she knew what she was doing and she wasn't falling for the crap. And so I, I begun to like, you know, kind of bounce around, uh, got a couple you know, violations. The first couple didn't result in treatment. Then it's like, okay, you're doing outpatient. Now you're doing more intensive probate or, or intensive treatment. And they just kept kind of adding things. And the first treatment really that, that didn't do much for me. And then I guess it was when 
at some point in there, I, you know, they started sending me up to do some time, right? A little time here and there. Well, you need a couple of weeks to, you know, go, go up there and lock down. And, and I got, I went through a period where it seemed like I was getting arrested like every other week. Yeah. Right. So it was either for a new charge or a PB, right? So I was always getting arrested and you kind of get used to it at some point, but I got to spend a little time. And, and so I went to treatment inpatient as part of the SB one, two, three. I think it's, they do give you a month and a half. I think it's like 42 days of, of inpatient treatment. That was my first time in inpatient. And I was like, man, this, this is going to be the trick, right? Yeah. This is what I've needed this whole time was inpatient, inpatient treatment. And so this is going to be fantastic. I went to inpatient treatment. I got out. I stayed sober like 56 minutes. Um, <laughs> and so I was literally, wow. it was, it was a devastating feeling. That's, that's when you begin to really, that hopelessness really sets in. Yeah. It's like, yeah this is nuts. Like this is, this is addiction. You know, this is, this is being caught up in something you just have no power over. So after 42 days in inpatient, uh, I was getting out. I was heading back to, to basically home. Um, had a, at the time, I think I had my girlfriend or something pick me up who miraculously had stayed with me at that point. Cause she was one of the girlfriends who didn't know, right. That I had yeah, this yeah. other life. That other life. But anyway, so I get I get back, um, and, and the first place I stop is I'm like, I'm going to stop by the PO office. Like, I had this planned within minutes. And so I was like, I'm going to stop by the PO office. I'm going to dare her to UA me, right? Because I've just had 42 days of inpatient. I'm yeah. clean. You're good. She, she UAs me. I immediately go into that drug-seeking behavior um, because I knew I had a, at least a week or two. You know, she's not going to pop me after she pops me, right? So... I, I went and got high again, and it just started it like right back in the mix. Of like things. right from the office. Right from the office. Right after. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. You like, said it wasn't even like an hour. No. It's, right. Yeah. It's like yep. It was it was outpatient. However long it took to drive to Wichita, stop by the POS office, and then it was like okay, let's get back into it. And so got right back into it, and and like say that that just it just speaks to the powerlessness and the hopelessness yeah. that that addiction really really brings and it brought into my life. I and mean, people it's, don't understand that. Let's talk about that just for just for yeah. a couple of minutes, because because the levels of addiction sometimes are so strong that people that have never been addicted to substance abuse yeah. don't understand how you can't just just drop turn it, it off and yeah, say no, walk away. well just stop, just stop, and they don't understand. And the, and the only thing I've ever been able to compare it to is if I'm talking to a Christian, I'll say. You know what? From this day forward, I want you to renounce Jesus. Don't have anything to do with him. Don't get up and talk to him, pray, read the Bible, nothing. Just turn away. Just stop doing Jesus and Christianity. Yeah. I can't. He's my life. He's everything. He's the first thing I think about when I wake up. He's the last thing I think. There you go. Now you understand the level of addiction that some people get to. You know, you know, for me, it had been such a, you get to a point, like there was always these thresholds. And for me, there was a threshold at which I had been using drugs in one form or another for longer than I had been sober in my life. Right. So the, the balance was yep. shifting to a drug addict side, right? So for me though, the, the, the hopelessness, the powerlessness, it, it becomes all, you know, I yeah. mean, you, I can't get up in the morning without using, I can't get it. I guess it's just like, like you, you talk about, but I can't. I couldn't get up in the morning and go to work without getting high. I couldn't. I couldn't function yeah. without getting high. I, I, did, I, I used before everything. I mean, it was it was just part of life. And it gets to where and, and you also, if you try to stop, it, there's this this void left in your life. And I know they talk about it's like the dopamine is no longer there. You've basically used all your dopamine up, yeah. and so there's just not going to be any there for for a significant amount of time. And it's so hard to go through that low that it's it's just not worth it. You just don't think it's just not worth it. And so it's like. It, 
you know, and, and your, your mind just twists and warp things to, well, I can, you know, do this or I can make this work or whatnot. And it becomes such a pull on you. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, that's what, you know, at the t- back, you know, years ago, I was like, I don't know how anybody could let their kids go for drugs. And, and the truth is I do, I get it. Yeah. Um, I tried really, really hard not to have kids during that period of time because I didn't want to be the guy who had to make that decision because I wouldn't have made the right one. Yeah. I understand exactly what it's like to, to, to give everything up for this drug, right? For, for this drug that you just, I mean, it, it's, it's got such a hold on you. And, and you you just don't understand how you could possibly do life, and it's just that hopelessness and that powerlessness. Yeah. It it is a beat down to know like, hey, if I just stop within four days, I'll pass this 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 drug test, and I won't go to jail. But if I can't stop, I'm going to jail. Like, there's not a question, right? right. I've, I've I've gone to I've I've made enough mistakes that I know if I don't pass this drug test, there's no more there's no more chances, or at least I'm, I know this time it's going to be some jail time, right? We already did the inpatient, we already did that. And, and to, to, to literally just, just sacrifice, I mean, you, you yeah. know, you to know, know the consequences, know the consequences and you cannot stop it. it it's, it's mind boggling yeah. even to me looking back, yeah. how, how could it get that bad? And so I completely understand where people on the outside don't understand it. And I don't expect you expect anyone to, but from an addict's point of view, I understand. And it's like, I get it when, even if it's not my drug of choice, I know what that's like. I know that that you don't want to give up your family. Mm. You don't want to give up your kids. But that that drug is so powerful yeah. in your life. And so I I completely it, it took hold of my life. I was completely powerless. Um, I it was I was on a hopeless path. And it, it takes a piece of your soul each time. Yeah. That, that oh you, yeah. It's like I believe that you 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 basically just, you know, you, you set a, you set a line and you, and you can't, you can't, you cross it, you know, it's like, okay, well, anything but this, right. I, I, I mean, I'll do this, but I won't do this and stealing eventually, anything like that. It's like, so you do all of it, you do all of it. You check all those boxes and it, it is, it's just takes a piece of your soul every time. It does. It really does. So, uh, how long did you go before you got caught? So I, I, it was a couple weeks and honestly, so I met, uh, um, I had gone, started going to this new treatment center um, and there's this, this gal who is the treatment coordinator, her name was Jennifer and she kind of came into my life. And for the first time, somebody took a direct interest in me, right? They, they were like, and they saw through the crap and they saw through the stuff and, and, and I, I'd started to kind of grasp where I really was in life and, and what the, what the level of addiction that I was at. And, and I, that wasn't a, wasn't a, a, a switch that was flipped, but it was okay. You know, somebody started paying more attention and, and encouraging me to do the right things and showing me kind of other ways that you can enjoy life. Yeah, right. Like, so, so, so it was a, she was, she came into my life and, and, and she really, and I wasn't the only one she, she's, I mean, anybody probably, if you're in Wichita and you're in the recovery scene, you probably know Jennifer. She's that fighting Italian gal, but anyway, so she, I had messed up again, but she could see it in my face and sell right straight through me. I, I'd started dating a gal for treatment, which I, I don't care what anybody says. I know people people make it out with with that, but don't do that. I don't I don't care. Um, I, I started dating a gal who was who was in treatment as to, as well, and we we went off the rails and together again. And so she saw right through me. She saw what I had done, and she she kind of convinced me to go. We're gonna we need to be honest, like with my PO, and I'm like. Whoa. <laughs> what? I said, no, I'll be honest with you, but we're supposed to have this confidentiality yeah. here. And she's like, no, we, we've got to go be honest. And so I was just completely honest. I wasn't caught. Yeah. I went and told my PO. I was like, hey, here's the deal. I, I, I'm really trying to get this, but I slipped up and had this situation. 
And she's like, oh, I completely understand. Thank you for coming to tell me. I've got to tell the judge though. And I was like, oh, there's, and even, even Jennifer was like, she didn't think they were going to, like, they're not going to send you up because you were the one who came and told them you weren't yeah, caught. And I'm like yeah. that. So the next PO visit, uh, police officer comes from around the corner, you know, the, the, the same old thing I've yeah. been arrested before. And I'm like, how, how the first time that I'm, of course, the truth is it wasn't that time. That right. wasn't the reason I was arrested. Right. It was the 30 other times that I had manipulated the system and done all the things. It wasn't that if, if mm. I would have been that honest from the get go, it would have been a whole different oh, yeah. thing. And so that was it. Uh, went in front of the judge again. You know, I'd been in front of the judge a few times and, and he's like, I'm done with you. You know, it's like, I, I don't, I, I, and at the time it, 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 it hurt, you know, it's like, okay, basically society's done with you. You know, we, we've given you all these chances and you've messed them all up. You're just a drug addict, right? And that's all you're ever going to be. And so I, I was like, it, it was devastating, but more or less it was time to go do this, do some time. And so I, I served, I had done some time in, in, uh, there was, I guess there was a period in time. I did some time in residential, got in a fight, got in all sorts of trouble like that. So I had served some of my underlying sentence, but it was time to go do the rest. And so I, at that time I spent a few months in County, uh, before they transferred me over to, uh, El Dorado Correctional Facility up in Kansas, got my, uh, my, my department of corrections, uh, number and all that. And so I was in, I was in prison. I was in the big boy prison. And how were, how old were you then? I, I guess I'd be like 28. Eight, I think, or twenty nine. Okay. I, I started to look back at that. I guess I've got my ID, but like I, I don't. I think it was twenty eight or twenty nine. I was pretty young. So you're still young, yeah. Yeah, but I'm in big boy prison now, you know. And so, and, okay, you were you were kind of on the upward trend a little bit before you were honest. Now, how did that play out? Now that you're in county jail and prison, how did that? Did it, did so it the, keep going up, or did it start trending down because so, of? The one thing when I got to prison and I, the, you first start out in prison, I'm sure they got the same thing in Texas, but they call it RDU. And so RDU is the sorting facility and the sorting facility kind of sucks, right? Cause we just, you're, we just call it classification. Okay. So yeah. you're stuck there for 30 to 60 to or 90 diagnostics. days, right? And, and you're going to be stuck in, in there and while they determine, you know, where you're at. And so I'm in RDU, it's a uh, maximum security, you know, cause mm. they haven't sorted yeah. yet. So we're in max security, 23 hour day lockdown. You know, it, it was a miserable experience, but it gave you some time. And of course you better like your celly. Um, I had a few, <laughs> some of them were better and some of them were horrible, but, uh, we got to, you know, I, I spent a lot of time um, reading and, and going through some of the, you know, they, they did have a few books that you could get. And I, I really spent a lot of time soul searching and uh, and really getting to know the Lord Jesus. You know, I, I, it's the first time I really tried to connect, you know, it's like, hey, I, I'm on the wrong path. This is going, it, it was such an eye-opening experience. And I know a lot of people are, you know, we shouldn't be putting drug addicts in prison. And I, I'm not here to, I, I don't have an opinion on that. For me, that's exactly where I needed to be. Right. And I'd love to tell you that, okay, after that, that was the end of it. And I, I learned my lesson and everything was good. But I will say that was, that was, that was uh, good for me. I, I, to this day, I'm, I'm still grateful that the judge finally said, that's enough. You know, he finally said, I'm tired of your manipulations. I'm tired of your BS. And, to, and I'm still grateful for the fact that, that, I hate to say it, but I got that opportunity to, get, to, go, yeah. to go do it. You know, yeah. um, he, they, they were just tired. You know, everybody was. We, we, when who knows what it would have ended up? It could have easily ended up de uh, with death. I could be dead. So. I, I could be still out there fighting that battle. If, if I would have sk somehow skated past that, I'm, I'm sure I'd be stuck in the exact same position still, you know, 
hanging out in the same towns, doing yeah. the same things, and and barely getting by. Probably back in jail or prison by now, you know. So it, to to me, it was it was something I absolutely needed, and and I I tried to use that time as wisely as possible because I, I knew that hey, I've got X a number of of days, so. Why not, right? Yeah. I mean, I have nothing else to do, right? Like you can do. Was there, all, you can, was there? You said you started to read. Was there a book in prison that you read that really impacted your life? Yeah. So the, it's it's uh, most people. I've I've given this book to other people, and they're like, "This is stupid." But it's a book called You Inc. Right, and it was basically about knowing your self worth and how do you improve and how do you change, you know. And I think it had that story about you know Tim Allen or whatever. Yeah, I guess yeah. he had done some time and stuff. But I I began to read that, and of course there was some stuff uh, from some of the fellowships that uh, that I got to to read some of that stuff. You know, some of the step working stuff and things. Um, but but and, and I read a lot of the Bible. You know, I really did. That's the one book you seem to be able to get pretty much anywhere in yep. at least in my experience pretty in lockup yep. that's the one book you can kind of count on they uh which is a good thing i, I guess but I, I i read through i read through the bible i wish i could retain it better like i'm horrible at retaining information i, I would have to reread yeah so i, I read through I, I got a lot of time to for me time right like you you can only do so many push-ups in a tiny little cell and <laughs> you really you can only sleep so much when you're not actually up doing anything yeah. so it just gets to a point where it's like let's let's spend some time working on me and really taking a hard look at who Nick is, you know, and, and where Nick is in life because this is not the path that I I should have been on, right? right? Like all my friends were doing all these things, you know, great things in life, and here I am in El Dorado Correctional Facility, uh, spending some time looking at me, and so uh, that that time was was really beneficial to me and of course not during that time you can't shave or anything so uh but anyway it, it was a mess but i got out and, and i started to try to make some really good decisions and uh i first thing i did was uh there's these you know kind of like you know i wasn't mandated to go to a uh, halfway house but i i chose to and so i went to a to a place called oxford houses i don't know if you're yeah. familiar yep. but they've got them pretty much lots all over the country in, lots of them in dallas i they're they're a great uh, organization. They really are, and and I've, I got to to live in one and actually help start one there at the beginning, and and that's where you know the life after incarceration. I got to to learn a little bit about that. So here I am. I'm in, I'm in an Oxford house, and it's time to get a job, right? And I can't go back to work for my dad because that was not a good place for me to work, right? That's the same old people, same old places, same old things. Right. So I got to find another job. But now, and before this point, I could kind of kind of lie my way through these background checks and things. It's like, cause they weren't really checking and you could kind of finagle your way. Well, no more. Right. So I've got a record. It's easy to find. Anybody can search it and see it. And so I, I'm like, okay, this is, this is an issue. And so, but I was painfully honest with everybody I applied with. And, and so I understand what that's like. It's never a fun experience to walk in and tell this prospective employer, this job you really want right, that, that right. Hey, I got this problem. And I got turned down for some jobs I would have really liked to have. And so that's where I was. I was in Oxford House. I was looking for a job. And I finally, I, I got a job. I accepted a job. They knew the whole situation. It was really starting on the very base level, right? Which, of course, I had been a mechanic and everything before that and made decent money. And now I've just been knocked down a few pegs, which I also feel is good. And that's that's when I, I took a chance. And this is a whole other story. And I really saw God's uh, you know handprints on this. But... There was a company, it's a manufacturer of farm equipment up in Kansas. Well, actually, they're all over the world. Um, and they had a job for like a technical support specialist. And I, I started the application online, right? And I didn't finish it because I was like, there's no way they're going to hire me. 
There's just no way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I still had a pending charge too. So mm, I, I wasn't wow. completely off. I, I had a pending charge, uh, for the, uh, I guess that would have been uh, the, the DUI or whatever that never got taken care of before I went and got right. went to lockdown. So I had to come back and deal with that, which sucks, right? You think you're done and you're still dealing with stuff. So I, I, I got halfway through the application. I gave up. I didn't realize, I guess they still get that information. Even if you don't finish it, yeah. right? They still get that information. So they called me the next day and I'm like, and they started interviewing me and they're like, they got really interested because I hadn't told them anything yet. Right. And so they, they, we just talked about experience. They're like, this is great. You know? And they're like, well, we really like to do a second phone interview with you. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I knew at that point, I was like, there is no point in doing this unless we're going to get a little honest yep. because they, they're going to figure this out. Um, and so on the second phone interview, I, I told her, I was like, ma'am, I got to be honest with you about a couple things. And I was like, I, I've, uh, I've got a, a, a background, right? So I've, I've got this, uh, this felony and this is a big corporation. It was corporate America. And, uh, and she said, well, you could kind of tell in her voice, things were over, right? She's like, I'll, I'll talk to the hiring managers, but uh, it, things were over. And, it, and I, but I actually felt good about it. Right. right. Yeah, Cause yeah. I was honest. You're honest yeah. And so it was like, it, it's okay. If I don't get this job, it's no big deal. But she called me back and said, well, they would, they would still like to meet you. Right. And I was like, well, this is weird. Okay. Odd. So I go up and meet with them and you know, they're like, well, we understand, you know, this thing back past. And there was, there was a couple guys in that room that, 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 uh, I guess saw, saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And they said, you understand this. Is there anything else? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> there, there's a couple more things you probably ought to know. Cause I, I kind of glossed over like the big picture items. Yeah. I was like, I'm also currently uh, fixing to be on probation for this other situation. I'm probably not going to have a full driver's license. I will be able to get to and from work, but that's about the extent of it. And so I'm, I'm going to have that situation I'm going to have to deal with. Oh, and I, and I did tell him I had this, this thing in my past, but what I didn't tell him is I just, and I did, this is the only thing that I wasn't hundred percent honest. I said, I did just get out of jail for that. And I didn't say prison because prison has a sting to it, right? <laughs> you know, jail is like, oh, you went to jail. But I did, I said, I just, I just got out of jail for this other situation. And, and so at that point here again, I, and uh, not to mention, I went, I didn't realize this was in a corporate office. I wore jeans. Everybody else is wearing suits. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Not only am I coming in here and telling you all that, that I've got all these problems, but I'm underdressed. Wow. Right. And so. And so I walked out of there here again. I felt good because I was honest, even yeah. if I didn't get the job, right. I felt fantastic. And so I, I knew I wasn't gonna get the job. It was a mess, right? So I'm like, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hot mess. I still was, I was living in Oxford house trying to do the right things. I was, I was, I was, you know, I was on my way, but I wasn't there. And so I, I basically, I went, I left there thinking, okay, it's over, you know, but I was honest and it was a great experience, you know? Um, wow. got a call that night and they said, Hey, we'd like to offer you the job and it's more money than I ever made. And, wow. and they asked me like, Hey, what, 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 how much do you need to make? And I said, I, I don't care if y'all, what y'all pay me. I just want a chance. <laughs> I just want a chance. You pay me whatever you want. And their offer was a lot more than what I had expected. It, it blew me away because I took God out of the equation, right? There's no way I can get this job. Right? There's no possible way. They're not going to hire me. They're not going to hire me with That's my background. That's the practical side of it. Yeah. They, 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 I took him completely out of the equation. And at all points, he's like, no, 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 let's keep talking. Let's have this conversation. And at each point, I took him out of the conversation. And so I got, I, I got a little further in and, uh, and, and like they offered me the job. And of course, that's when the background check come up. And I was like, I don't know why I've still fretted about it. Right? Like I had been honest. And so that yeah. was my only saving grace, right? As I had been completely honest. 
But this background check calls your high school and verifies you have a diploma. This what? is not, this is a, <laughs> I, th- I wish I remembered the name of the company because of course I did my research, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm Googling this company, wow. but they do in a very extensive background check and they find out about all the dirt, you know, and, and I'm like, well, what did I do? Did I tell them everything about this, this, and this? And so I finally got through that and I started working in this corporate office wearing these slacks, you know, wow. and here I've always been like a, you know, in the shop. T-shirt and, jeans guy. Yeah, working in the shop, filth, covered in filth and stuff. And so, which don't get me wrong, it was a great job, but, uh, but here I am working in this corporate office. I didn't even own slacks, right? So I had to go buy some slacks, but uh, working in the corporate office and it, and I, and I made good on, on that chance they took on me. That's um, good. I worked my tail off for them, and, and they actually it wasn't a year later, and they they offered me a promotion. And they're like, "Hey, could, would you would you move to Texas?" And I was like, I was finally initially I didn't want to move because I was trying to run away. I wanted to move because it was a good thing, right? Because yeah. because yeah, yeah. you can't run from your problems, right? No. You can't. I, I watched. I, I listened to one of the other podcasts. And he's like, I he was away from cocaine for three hours or something like that. And, yes. and I was like, I get that, right? Like you, you can't run from your problems. You can't move from your problems. And so I didn't want it to be for that, but I, I took the job and they gave me a, a company car and a company credit card mm. and wow. a company cell phone. I'm like, do y'all know who I am? <laughs> and I, and I, I did butt heads a little bit. With what a great company. Yeah. I'm like, you guys are nuts. Uh, but anyway, so, so yeah, that's how I got to Texas and I All lived right. in Fort Worth for a while. Okay. And so you're, you're, uh, you're in Texas. How long are you in Texas before you meet your bride? Oh, I guess I was in Texas maybe about a year or so. Um, and I was, I was traveling a lot for the company. I was going all over and, and, and doing different things. And, uh, you know, we, we meet, we met the way everybody meets these days is online. So, um, about a year in, I met, I met April, uh, she was living in Denton. She had actually moved from Florida for work. I had moved from Kansas for work. Wow. And so neither of us were Texans, but here we were in Texas. And so we're happy to have y'all. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, my son is a Texan, so at least I can claim him. I can, hopefully they'll let me stay because I have a kid that's a Texan. So, but yeah, so we met each other. Um, and that's one thing here again, that just kind of continuing on with this, this honesty thing is the second date in. And I didn't, I thought she would be over, but there was no sense in not telling her. Right. Yeah. absolutely. Because we're not going to build a relationship on lies. And so, Basically, basically, right out the gate, I told her, I said, hey, here's the situation. I, I, I need you to know that I'm an addict. I need you to know that, that I've got this background. I need you to know that I've, I've been to prison. I, I mean, I need you to know all these things, and I need you to be able to make that decision for yourself if you want to keep seeing me, because I completely get it if you don't. And I'm sure that's a lot for a second date. Maybe that's not the proper timing. I'm not I sure. I did mine on the first date. First date? She already knew me. She already knew me, but it was like, you know, I, uh, we, we told, I told her everything I'd ever done. Yeah. She's like, whoa, I, I guess I didn't really know you all these years. <laughs> well, and that's and that's just it. So I mean I was I was just kind of laid it all out there, not knowing what would happen, but the tr- it it's it is such a freeing experience when you're just honest, yeah. you know. And so and I told her, I said, you know, and, and unfortunately this this came true, but I told her I was like, hey, you know, that I'm an addict and there's there's always that chance, you know, that I'm I'm not gonna that I'm gonna go back to to where I was. And and, and sure enough, that, that came to be, and I hate that, but, um, but there, you know, there was a time when I went back to using, you know, uh, I, I'd never been married before, the stress of marriage and everything, and I just, that's all excuses for the fact that I just, I quit doing the things I needed to do right. not, yeah. to, to not be an addict, and so, or to, or to be re- in recovery, and, and so I, uh, you know, I went back to using, and, and that was really, really tough, and there's another God experience in that story. So I went back to using, and uh, you know, it, that emotional, physical, and spiritual bankruptcy hits almost immediate, right? It doesn't take long, and so 
you, you feel worthless. I'm no longer, you know, I'm, I'm by myself in this, right? Cause no longer do I know anybody down here and I'm, I'm just, I'm an addict, right? So I'm yeah. just using to use. And, and, and so I got kind of caught up in that again. And it wasn't, I got to a point where I was just praying for a way out. You know, I don't care what it's like. I, I basically said, you know, I, I, even if it's, even if it's back to prison, like I, I need, I need a way out. And I've never been the type of person who could just quit, right? So uh, I need to be quit, right? Yeah. So somebody needs to quit me. And so I, I had been praying that and uh, went to church one time. You know, actually, we'd been going to a little church, and they had a, new, a guest pastor. He did an altar call, and I'm not an altar call guy. And I, <laughs> and he kept like he kept asking, you know, I bet he had to ask six times. Is there anybody? You know, it's like he's he's just reaching into my soul and pulling me out. And I went and did an altar call and. And, uh, and that wasn't the end of it. My wife, it was later on that same exact day. My wife actually caught me using for the first time. And, and, uh, it was, a it was, a just to just rip your heart out your soul, you know, yeah. um, type of experience. And I know it was for her. I know it completely devastated her, even though I'd kind of told, you know, I, I kind of set the stage that, Hey, you know, this is who I, I mean, I am, but the truth is that's not who she saw me as. And I didn't right. want her to see me as right. that. So, uh, she she caught me and and and, and uh, it like I say it's like kind of almost starting over you know it, it is I mean obviously from a from an addiction standpoint but with with your wife you know everything that you had built right is now destroyed trust so, trust all of it's gone well obviously she's still with you she is so that shows um, what kind of person she is yeah yeah crazy of, she's crazy let's talk about that for a little bit I mean she she's she's been a Christian. She has. Yeah. So she's basically, she was, you know, brought up in, in the Christian faith. Um, you know, she's, she's definitely more well-grounded in that. So than she I had, am. so she had some of her faith principles tested at that point. And the truth is she's, she's got some family that, I mean, she wasn't, yes, she had some principles tested, but she also had a little experience with that. And don't ask me why she thought that that would be good to bring <laughs> in and choose to bring into her life. I don't understand that, but she definitely had some Christian principles and, and, and wanted to forgive and wanted to make, you know, things work. And so, but it's, it's not easy. And that was it hard way. for you to, to accept her forgiveness. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I know, I wasn't married through all my stuff and, and I haven't relapsed with my wife, mm -hmm. but I know how hard it was for me to accept my own mom and dad's forgiveness, you know? And so I can't imagine what's it like in a marriage. Um, you know, I, I, I was in prison. I saw a lot of marriages dissolve because of addiction. Uh, wives sure. just give up. They're getting tired of it, you know? It, and I think she, she probably, would have if, if I wouldn't have started making the right decisions immediately. Yeah. And, and I, I knew what it took. I'd done it before, right? Yeah. Like I knew the direction we had to go. And honestly, I, I'm just grateful that she did stay um, awesome. because if she wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Right. Like I, I would have given up and just, you know, thrown everything away and gone right Thank back. Thank God in for her. Yeah. No joke. Yeah. It's almost oh like it was, gosh. it was almost like it was a, uh, She's ordained, a hero. Right? It was She's meant to be. Yeah, and so she uh, she definitely and and we have a you know a couple years after you know it, I guess it would have been what a year in and I'm I'm doing good and things are good and that's when we 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 had Toby I guess he would he would have been two years in and so that's that's the one thing I'm I'm still really grateful that I haven't messed up is my son's never seen me high I really hope that that's uh, something that that will continue forever so that's a big thing to me um, and like I say my 
my wife were still together. We've, we've gone on to do other things and I'm still an addict and, and currently I'm addicted to this entrepreneurial thing. Nice. And it seems like every year I'm like, well, let's, what do you think? Can we do this too? Or hey, I'm not the only one here. My wife is bad. At, she's a bad habit uh, forming person too, as far as she just thinks we'll take on something else. I'm like, who <laughs> do you have time in your schedule? But, uh, man, it's just, I'm just so grateful for where we are today. You know, and it's not the businesses. It's not any of that. It's just it. every day, you know, is, is a blessing. Yeah. I think we were created to be addicts. Yeah. To be addicted to communion with God. I mean, I, I feel like God wouldn't have created Adam without the desire to commune with him. But then Satan knows that, that Adam was an addict. Yeah. And, and decided to throw his own wrench and to get him to, to be addicted to something else. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like as long as if we could somehow, well, like when I tell people, you know, mine was alcohol. I love to party on all of your stuff, but I'll be honest with you. I drank Jack Daniels because it tasted good. The, the, the byproduct was, you know, the side effect was it got me drunk too, but I, I liked it. But when I did meth, which I, I just threw a pep rally when I discovered meth because it just like made me more of who I already was. <laughs> That's right. It Faster, made, yeah. <laughs> it made my 90 miles an hour go 120 miles an hour. Yeah. But the first time I, I took a drink of my Jack Daniels when I was high on meth, I'm like, what is this? They're like, it's your normal Jack and Diet Coke. I'm like, no. no. There's no Jack in here. And, and then I tried to taste Jack straight and I couldn't taste it. And so Jack Daniels saved me from being strung out on meth because I would have been I probably would have gone through all the production, all the progressions of, of uh, snorting it and then uh, smoking it and then and then shooting it. I probably would have done it all because I loved meth. But Jack Daniels, I love Jack Daniels so much, and that was my thing. But when I was in a, in a in a solitary confinement cell, and I asked God to take that desire away from me, He He did. But I tell people, I still get drunk. I just switch bartenders. <laughs> I like that. So I have a similar kind of experience where I, I always say meth saved me from cocaine because cocaine was taking me down hard and yeah, fast. And yeah. I kind of wish maybe I wouldn't have found meth because then I would have crashed a lot sooner and maybe would have yeah. got on the right path a little quicker. But, you know, everything's meant to be the way it is. Um, but I, cocaine was taking me down fast and hard. I mean, I, I was wrecking relationships and blowing through money I didn't have and, you know, stealing and all those things. Um, and then I switched to meth and it was, well, it's a little cheaper. (laughs) You can, you can make that last a little longer. And so all of a sudden it, it, it kind of, you know, and you could, you know, I don't know, you could go a little time between having to use. And so it, at least three days. Yeah. It would, it would, (laughs) it would, it saved me from that. But yeah, I mean, I, yes. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this that are not in prison. And there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this that are in prison. Take just a few minutes here at the end to speak to the addict and speak hope into their lives, whether they're in prison or out. Yeah. And so for, for me, it, it comes back to, to the hopelessness, you know, for, for every addict, I I feel like what's, what's really missing is, is first having the hope that it can change and it's worth it. Right. I think that's another core core piece to this because you might think it can change but you might not think it's worth it and for me it had been so long since I had known what it's like to not use I was like well it you know what would that life even be like yeah. you know and you've you've gone like see you've gone through all that dopamine and, and you're, you're you're just the pleasure side of this is gone and so I I can 
relate to that, but I can tell you that, that there, there are people out there that are willing to, to put in the effort to help you. Um, there is a way out for, for me. It was a reliance on God. Um, I made, the, I prayed that same thing for that to take away that, that, you know, that obsession to use. Yeah. And, and it is the only reason I'm, I'm standing here today is, is because early on, you know, it is such a powerful obsession and it used to have to pray it every minute, right? You know, like, you know, just yeah, yeah. every minute stop and, and, and really, and, it, and then it gets to be five minutes and, and, and the time gets to be a little longer, but I, yeah, you know, for anybody in, if you're in prison, you know, use that time wisely. You, you've, you might not look at it right now. You may be mad at the system. You may be whatever the situation, but you've got time, use it. There is so much you can do to improve your life inside that, you know, when, when you get out, you'll be able to leverage. And, and I love the idea of this, 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 uh, you know, utilizing your background. Right. And so for me, it's the same thing. You know, I think, and I've witnessed it, you know, I've still got tons of friends that are, that are, you know, recovering addicts or whatnot. And that, you know, we, we have certain skill sets that we've developed on the streets that, that apply in real world, yeah. you know, and, and that motivation and that drive and that, that push, you know, it's like, if you can use just 90% of the effort that you use to get high into doing some positive things or oh, just, yeah. just changing your life, um, it, it, it'll completely, you know, it won't take long and I'm not saying it'll happen overnight. Cause I think that's where we kind of get tied up, caught up in it's like, well, I didn't see the change in this first week. So forget it. It takes time. Yeah. But, and, and do the next right thing, you know, just one thing at a time. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, just do the next right thing. And that's, that's, that's a huge thing is, is, you know, you only get there one step at a time. Right. You're not going to get there overnight. These relationships aren't going to be healed overnight. You're, you're not going to get back with your ex overnight. She's not, your, your wife or spouse is not going to forgive you overnight. Your parents, you've, you've, you've ruined that relationship and that's going to take time. You know, it's, it, things take time. But also don't give up, you know, I mean, they're, they're, I've worked with a lot of folks, a lot of addicts, a lot of, you know, people from different walks of life when I was living in Oxford houses and things like that. And I, and there's always another option. Yeah. Right. It's like a lot of people, I can't get a job because blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm I'm not sitting here telling you it's not hard. I've been there. I've done it. I've had to tell the truth. I've, I've got turned down for jobs that I really wanted. I've got, you know, I've been through all that stuff. But the truth is, for every 10 people that won't give you a chance, there's one that will. And, and they're out there. And there's more and more every day. And you won't find that until you go ask nine more people. Yeah, you may. And you may have to get rejected. That's the thing is that, is that they get rejected that one or two times and they want to give up. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, look, just because our the odds of us getting a, a job are narrowed, uh, doesn't mean that we're still, you know, we're going to get hired the first time. You got to knock on doors. You got you to sell yourself. It, and it's about taking accountability. You know, it's like you go out and you meet these people and they're like, no, 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 we don't hire felons. We don't, that's okay. You know, that's not, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be mad at them. I'm going to go find that person who will hire a felon yeah. and I'm going to be the best employee that yeah. I possibly can. And, and, but I've seen it time and time again. If it, get in it, get in where you fit in and you're going to, you're going to rise to the occasion. You know, I've seen so many people that start out at the bottom and, and pretty soon they're running the place, you know, I mean, whether it's your own business or whether it's somebody else's business, the, the truth is people are hungry for, for people who are honest and work hard and show up and, and, uh, and, and just give a crap, you know, and, and we are too, you know, I mean, here at PR or, or, you know, my wife's business, you know, we, we've got a, a handful of employees between the two of us and, 
just having that person that that is that is willing to to put in that effort but you know to to make the changes we you're already trying to make the changes in your yeah. own life and that's really hard so if yeah. you're if you're doing that you know you're on the right track yeah. in a lot of a lot of that's aspects good. so i was going to ask you about about y'all y'all your companies you know if you practice uh, hiring people <laughs> that you know and 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 i tell people look we have we have backgrounds that people aren't going to want to take a take a chance on. Yeah. So you've got to be able to have confidence in yourself and who you are now, so that you can overcome who they think you still are. You know what I mean? Because they they don't know you now. They know they look at the piece of paper and go, "Well, this is who you used to be," but you've got to be able to convince them. Look, I'm not that person. I'm not that person and I'm willing to take a chance yeah, on, you know, and so I, good. I think so many people, you know, that they don't go in and, and try to BS anybody, just be honest, yep. you know, and I think that's the first step is if, if you go in and, and try to manipulate the situation or try to lie, they know you're not on the right track. Right. You know, there's not a question in my mind. Like if you go in and try to lie to an employer to get a job because you think they won't check or whatever. And I mean, you're, something's not right. And you, even you if, need, you need even to look if you're, inside. even if you're not lying, you just omit yeah. That cuz I tell them I'm like, look, if you just if you're not upfront and honest with them and they hire you because they think you have a clean background, they didn't ask you, so you're not yeah. lying to them, but they think you have a clean background, so they hire you, but then you lose the job after 2 weeks when your background check comes back, whereas now you've wasted 2 weeks when you could have told them up front, I have a, I have a felony, they could have said up front, we're not going to hire you. And then you could have spent that two weeks looking Look for, for another job. The job that fits. Yeah, right. Well, and that's just it. And a lot of people rule out certain employers because you don't think you got a chance. But I'm, I'm just telling you, I went to a work for an employer that had 20,000 employees, you know, clear over the globe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sent me all over the world. I, I didn't. That was another thing. I didn't know if I'd ever get a passport. I wasn't <laughs> sure how that worked, to be honest with you. And then one thing that I still don't have um, is I, I got my record expunged, you know, a couple years back because I think you got to have, what, five years in the state yeah. of Kansas. I still don't have the ability to own a firearm. I don't know. I don't know that really. The, I thought I'd get it back, but I don't have it. So, so the thing is, you know, my past still follows me. My past is still with me, and, and that's okay. You know that that I earned that. Let's just put it that way. And I think that's where people can can kind of get it twisted, and they want to take this poor me attitude. No, 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 not for not for Nick Pomeroy. I yeah. earned everything that I yeah. got. I earned all those trips to jail. I, you yeah, can't play the victim mindset. You, you just can't. cannot play the victim mindset. And it's like I guarantee I had my turn signal on, and I shouldn't have been arrested. I shouldn't have been pulled over. <laughs> I, I I religiously use my turn signals, but the truth is, that was a stepping stone. Yeah. That was that yeah, was yeah, yeah. that was that needed to happen that particular day in order for me to get where I am today. And so you can look back and you can you can play that victim mentality. You can think the poor, poor me thing. None of that stuff will help you get to where you want to go. None of that stuff will help you improve your life. Yeah, so good, man. Well, I am glad that you, you took every step that you needed to take. Uh, I'm glad you uh, that God provided April for, yeah. you to, for you to take these steps in the last, whatever, six, seven years y'all been together. Um, thankful for online dating. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put that in the profile, by the way. <laughs> I was just going to ask. Did, didn't know if you like had a felon stamp across your picture. Put, put, put my prison ID up there as my as my. Well, you know, when I first got out of prison and I started, you know, kind of courting Jessamy, my wife, um, I, I, her dad would not let me go out with her at first, but 
I got out in April, and then he, and in the summer, I said, let me just go out on one date with her so I can tell her everything I've ever done. And he's like, oh, yeah, I want, I want to do that because my, my daughter's smart enough. She'll run away from you if she hears all that. So what I did was I wanted to tell her that she I, – I, I printed up this little page, like a little pamphlet, and this is the way I was letting her know that we get to go out on date. And I said, you are the winner of uh, Date a Felon. <laughs> And so and I put this picture of me on there and put these little bars over it. And, and then I'm like, this is what, you know, you win by going out with this felon. And I, it made it really funny, um, you know, but that was kind of like how we started our first date. I said, your, 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 your award will take you to the dream cafe where, uh, you know, your, your felon will talk to you about this and that and all. And uh, so, you know, from the very beginning, I just, uh, I mean, cause like I said, she already knew me. Our families have known each other since 1982. So that was the main reason her dad didn't want me to go out with her because he's known me all my life, you know, and, and she was on the missionary for three years, missionary field, and I was in prison for three years, you know, so. You know how, how we always have those stories burning your, burning your mind. And so one of the stories I have is I think I was 18 and I was dating a girl in high school. She was like 16 or something like that. And she found out that at a party, me and her, another guy was doing some coke. And, and so she, I'm done with you, Right. And I'm like, okay, but that was just the one time and it'll never happen again. <laughs> and this 16-year-old girl had the nerve to say, look me up in two years when you've been, when you've been sober for two years. And I'm like, I, wow. I can't baffle you. Like, this wow. is ridiculous. And That's funny. it burned a hole through my yeah. soul. But, I mean, good for her. Yeah, really. There was a few more years of mess. But, but uh, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, Nick, for uh, coming on the show. Uh, if anyone's in, in need of any kind of tractor equipment from... Nice riding lawnmowers, and, and they're really nice. I'd never even heard of the brands that you sell until I came here back in December, and they're incredible. They yeah, are incredible. And, um, I'm, I'm, I may buy one one day. And y'all really, you know, we try to do business with some companies that we really believe in, and so one of the companies we sell for is uh, Spartan Mowers. I don't they probably, I hope they don't mind this, but actually they support uh, a couple of really good ministries, John three sixteen, John three seventeen ministries up in nice. Arkansas, where they where they're really working with uh, troubled folks, you know, that That's are they're awesome. getting through past addictions and yeah. past hurts and hangups, and and so they're they're a really good company. Second uh, chance companies it, are the it, best. It was it was awesome, and they hire a ton of people out of there, but one of the our very first dealer meeting was at the John 316 Ministries, and I was like, "Man, where was this when I was trying yeah. to get right?" You know, <laughs> I was like, "I didn't even know these places existed," but it was like on this beautiful campus, and it was, and it was. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's we, we we try to work with some good companies, but honestly, we've been so blessed. If you'd asked me three years ago if I thought where I thought I'd be at this point, it, this wouldn't be it. I mean, we've had so many tremendous opportunities. We've 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 just gratitude, you know. All right, so if you're anywhere in Texas uh, or, or anywhere else and just want to come to Texas, uh, near, it's in Karen's, uh, just east east of Corsicana. East Corsicana, yeah, yeah. We're about eight miles east of Corsicana. Yeah, so come look Nick up, tell him you heard it on the Background Check podcast. That uh, would be cool. I, yeah. I would actually love to hear that somebody heard this story yeah. and swings by, or swing by Mita's. Like, yeah, hey, was, my that, wife's that always was, there. Tell her, was... like, why did you do this? <laughs> like, why are you married to an addict? You know, I think that would be cool too. Yeah. So, <laughs> how do you spell Mita's? M I T A S. Okay. So, just like All right. So, if you're in Corsicana or coming through Corsicana, check out Mita's. And Nick, thanks again for for letting us do a background check on you. Man, it's so fun. Thanks. Man, what a great, great testimony of God's grace and mercy. Man, you know, we probably could have talked 
for another hour. You know, I mean, I, I try to keep these these podcast episodes an hour or less, 45 minutes. But, man, when, when the anointing just hits the room and, and they start talking about where God's brought them from, it's incredible. You know, a few things I want to highlight about Nick's story is one thing he, he highlights is that, you know, you just got to do the next right thing. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you're one decision away from going backwards where you don't want to go or, or going further forwards where you should go. One decision. And no matter what's happening in your life, whether you're on a high or whether you're on a low, you're one decision away from getting better or getting worse. You may think you're at rock bottom, but you can make one decision and, and create a new rock bottom. You know what I mean? You know how to get off rock bottom is, is stop digging. But your one decision, just do the next right thing. That's the decision you need to move forward. And, you know, some of you, whether you're in prison, whether you're out here and you've lost everything, you may be overwhelmed with the amount of things that you have to do to turn your life around. Yes, I, I'm going to always recommend uh, giving your heart to Jesus because I tried it without him. And there's some people that can maintain without a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's hard to thrive without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe me, if I could have done it without Jesus, I would have done it. I would have, I would have, I would have been one of the ones that, that could have done it without Jesus, but I didn't. And I, and I couldn't. And here I am today. Everything I have and everything I do is because of Jesus and for Jesus. But I just keep doing the next right thing. The next right thing. As soon as you start compromising, you know, he talked about that downward spiral, you know. Um, but, and, and the other thing is don't don't give up. Listen, like I said, some of you might be thinking there's too many things. It's so overwhelming that I don't even know where to begin. Just don't don't try to begin anywhere. Just do the next right thing. Just just what's in front of you. Okay. What what can I do right now, today, this hour, this minute, this second? What's the next right thing? Don't worry about what you're gonna do tomorrow yet. Tomorrow's not here. Don't worry about whether I'm gonna be sober in ten years or not. Worry about I'm gonna do the next right thing. I'm gonna be sober for the next hour. And then when that hour's up, do the next right thing. I'm going to be sober for another hour. And even if you mess up, relapse happens to be a part of almost everyone's journey. There's hardly anybody I know that is delivered, quits cold turkey, and never has another problem or struggle again in their life. There, there have been some of those stories. But for the most part, most of us, after we decide, or even in our mind and heart, we know we don't need to do this anymore, there's always most of the time, a, a relapse. But the thing about it is relapses, they can make us stronger. Because the Bible says, my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So whenever we're weak, we give it to God, it actually becomes a strength. So I want to thank Nick. Listen, if you're in if you're anywhere near the area, go by, if, especially if you need a, a tractor or a lawnmower. He did not want this to turn into some big promotion about him, but, I mean, that's what I'm all about is, is, is trying, to, trying to point people to Jesus and point people to the, the products and things that our guests uh, are a part of. And, uh, and I'm telling you right now, Mita's in Corsicana is an incredible coffee shop. So go hit them up both. Karen's is, you know, about 8 to 10 miles 
uh, east of Corsicana, but they are an incredible couple. April April is just the most sweet, uh, amazing woman of God, and Nick is the most incredible man. And uh, I haven't got to meet Toby yet, but I can't wait. I can't wait. So uh, thank you guys for listening to this story. Uh, if it's impacted your life, you know, and you're out here, email us, text us, uh, let us know. Let us know. Go by. Go by and say tell tell Nick and April that you heard us on you heard them on uh, Background Check podcast and let them know that that their story impacted your life and touched your heart in some way. And listen, if you're in prison, write us P.O. Box Forgiven Felons P.O. Box four two eight three, and that's Cedar Hill, like the tree Cedar Cedar Hill, Texas seven five one zero six. Let us know what you think of the podcast and uh, don't forget to share it. Uh, to everyone you come in contact with. Listen, if you're struggling, if you're struggling, I don't care if you're on your first relapse, your 18th relapse, I don't care where you are, God loves you. He, he, he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And he believes that you can be delivered, and so do I. And, and like I said, I don't care if this is your first relapse or your first time doing drugs, alcohol, whatever, whatever your vice is, whatever your struggle and your addiction is, uh, there's deliverance. Okay, and um, so we're going to lift April and Nick up in prayer, and I'm going to pray for you guys as well. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the Pomeroys. We thank you for all the businesses that they're addicted to now, Lord. We thank you that they have switched addictions. Nick has switched addictions. Uh, But, Lord, we just thank you for the favor you've put on their lives. We thank you for the doors that you've already opened, the doors that you're going to open and uh, we ask you to shut any doors that, that they don't need to walk through. Lord, protect them. Give them everything they need. According to your word in Second Peter that says you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Lord, we, uh, we just we pray a hedge of protection around them. We speak, um, we speak permanent freedom in Nick's life from, to, to never go back. We speak it, Holy Spirit, just help him, help all of us, help all of us who have struggled in some sort of addiction, Lord, to stay on the right track and just keep doing the next right thing. Lord, we just ask you to give them favor in any of their future endeavors. Uh, bless the ministries and the community involvement they're, that, they are, that they're doing. Lord, let them thrive even more than they already are. Lord, we lift up everyone that's listening to this podcast right now, whether they're in uh, dorm E, pod four, bunk 56, or whether they're in A, two, 32. I don't care where you're at, if wherever you're listening to this, in your car, at work, working out, we just pray over your life right now. We speak over your life. If there's anything you need freedom from, we speak freedom over you. If there's a, a healing you need in your body, we speak that over you right now. Lord, intervene in every one of the listeners' lives, no matter when they listen to this or where they're listening to it from. Intervene in their life right now. Right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.